but the flesh is weak. Matthew's account, Matthew 26, verse 39. He went a little farther and fell on his face and prayed, saying, O my Father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. Verse 42. Again, a second time, he went away and prayed, saying, O my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. Verse 44. So he left them, went away again, and prayed the third time, saying the same words. Then in Luke's account, Luke 22, verse 41. And he was withdrawn from them about a stone's throw, and he knelt down and prayed, saying, Father, if it is your will, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Then an angel appeared to him from heaven, strengthening him. And being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. Then his sweat became like great drops of blood falling down to the ground. All right. So I just want to draw out six points that we can learn from Jesus' prayer here in the garden. And I'll develop these six points a little bit. And then what we're going to do for the rest of the time tonight is we're going to go about a stone's throw away from each other, <laughs> or at least a, a good six feet <laughs> COVID distance away from each other. And we're just going to kneel in personal prayer before the Lord, and we're going to put some of these principles to practice. Amen? So this is the first principle I see in Jesus' prayer here in the garden. Number one, prayer must be humble. Prayer must be humble. So, in Mark, we see Jesus falls down. In Matthew, he says Jesus fell on his face. Luke tells us that Jesus knelt down. Now, he could have done all three of those things. I think he probably did, because he went in prayer at least three times, we're told. And, you know, the amazing thing about falling prostrate on the ground on his face or kneeling down, that wasn't necessarily Jesus' normal posture in prayer through, throughout his ministry. In fact, we see in the Gospels, sometimes Jesus is standing with his hands and his heads lifted, with his eyes open, praying to the Father, right? But there's something about being in a time of great trial, in a time of desperation, in a time of great need, we're dropping prostrate before our Father in heaven is the only proper position, right? Because it shows that we're fully reliant on heaven, right? It shows us that we're in a place of humility. We're in a place of lowliness, right? Kind of like the slave who washes the feet and is, and is on the ground in that posture. Well, we're in that slave of just total servitude before the Father in heaven. You know, Moses in the Old Testament, he exhibited that sort of prostrated prayer before God in his greatest trial. Remember when, when God told Moses that he wanted to wipe all of Israel out because of their idolatry and sin and start over with Moses? You know what Moses did in that great time of uh, trial of thinking of all of his family totally wiped off from the planet earth 
he falls prostrate before God. Look what it says in Deuteronomy 9.25. Moses is speaking. Thus I prostrated myself before Yahweh. Forty days and forty nights I kept prostrating myself because Yahweh said he would destroy you. And of course we know, in that state of humble, constant prostrating of Moses, guess what? We're told in, in, in Exodus that God changes his mind, and he decides, you're right, I, I hear you, Moses, you interceded on their behalf, and I'm not going to destroy them anymore, right? So there is something about a posture of kneeling or lying on the floor which shows a full submission, which shows an, an understanding, not, not just to God, but to us, that we're fully reliant on him, right? At the end of 1 Chronicles, this is where David is passing the kingdom on to his son Solomon. And the last chapter of 1 Chronicles, we're told that after the dedication service, where David is praying and he's getting ready to hand everything over to Solomon, we're told that all Israel fell prostrate before God. They knew that if the kingdom and the new temple was going to succeed, they needed to be a worshiping people, they needed to be a prayerful people, and they needed to be prostrate on their face just like Moses had been. Um, we also see this prostrate prayer not just on earth with Moses and the Israelites as the house of prayer is constructed, but we see it in heaven. When the greater son of David, Jesus, ascends into heaven, and this is what we're told in Revelation 5, verse 8. Now when he had taken the scroll, the four living creatures and the 24 elders fell down before the Lamb, each having a harp and golden bowls full of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. So here, the most powerful men in heaven, the 24 elders that surrounded the throne of God, what do they even do? They fall prostrate on their face before Jesus. Before Jesus. Why? Because he, he's not just fully man, he is fully God, and he deserves our worship as well. But here in the garden, we see Jesus prostrate before the Father. We see him kneeling before the Father. We see this humble posture, and that should characterize all of our prayers, that we're going to be humble when we come in prayer. What's the second thing we see? The second characteristic of prayer from Jesus. We see this, number two, prayer must be relational. Prayer must be relational. You know, every single prayer that is recorded in Matthew, Mark, and Luke of Jesus in the garden all of them, all the prayers begin with Father. In Mark, Jesus begins his prayer saying, Abba, Father. Right? Mark includes uh, not just the Greek word for Father, but the Aramaic word for Father. He's really emphasizing that, that Jesus is, is, is coming uh, to, to the Father as Father. Abba, Father. In Matthew, uh, what's on Jesus' lips is, My Father, right? It's even more personalized. He's not just Father, but He's my Father. And, and in Luke, we see in the prayer that He simply says, Father. You know, 
Jesus, when he went into prayer, right, <laughs> he wasn't just engaging in some kind of Eastern meditation, right? He, he wasn't just trying to calm his nerves and get in a certain kind of, you know, yoga posture or something like that. No, what Jesus was doing was approaching a real, personal, powerful God in heaven, one that he had a relationship with, the Father. And when we pray, we must always remember that we are not just engaging in some sort of spiritual practice to calm our mind or our nerves or our body. No, we are engaging in a conversation with our Father in heaven, a real personal God who desires a relationship with us, right? So like Jesus, all of our prayers should begin addressing our Father in heaven, right? A lot of times I say, Heavenly Father. We can say, My Father. We can say, Abba Father. We can say, Father. But all of our prayer time should always be understood that we're addressing a personal, loving God who is hearing our prayers, right? And so we should really seek to be addressing our Father in the secret place. For He is in that secret place listening to each and every one of us. In fact, we just read in Revelation 5 that the living creatures are holding golden bowls of incense, which are the prayers of the saints. Meaning what? Meaning that the Father in heaven is listening to our prayers, right? He is collecting our prayers. He cares about our prayers. They're precious prayers to Him. And in fact, they're powerful prayers because He responds to those prayers in the, remain, the remainder of the book of Revelation. So first, prayer must be humble. Second, prayer must be relational, Jesus shows us in the garden. And number three, prayer must be persevering. Prayer must be persevering. What do we see here in the garden? Does Jesus just say a one-minute prayer and then say, okay, here we go, I'm... I'm ready to go uh, be betrayed and go to the cross. No, we see him pray, we're told, three separate times. And it seems that he prayed a very similar prayer all three times. And after that long prayer, he finally reaches the point where he is fully resolved to accomplish the will of heaven, right? After... The, the three prayers, which was probably two or three hours, hours long, he finally uh, is at the place where the trembling had left him, where the agony had ceased, and where he rose up in great strength and great fortitude and went out himself to meet his betrayer, right? He persevered until the will of God was perfectly settled in his human mind and in his human soul. And it is an example for you and me that we can persevere in prayer till when we rise up, we are strong, we are fortified, and we are ready to face whatever lies ahead, right? So if Jesus could pray three times for the perfect will of God to be accomplished, 
and for him to have the boldness to walk in the perfect will of heaven. How much more should not you and I make that a regular and persistent prayer on our lips? You know, Jesus told an interesting parable about the importance of persevering in our prayer. In other words, of not giving up in our prayers, but, but being constant in our prayers until we have arrived right there in the will of the Father. It's in Luke chapter 18, and it says this in Luke 18, verse 1. Then he spoke to them that men always ought to pray in what? And not lose heart. In other words, men must always pray, and they must always persevere. They must never lose heart. So what is the parable he told? Verse 2, saying, There was a certain, sit, a certain city, there was in a certain city a judge who did not fear God nor regard man. Now there was a widow in that city, and she came to him, saying, Get justice for me from my adversary. And he would not for a while, but afterward he said within himself, Though I do not fear God nor regard man, yet because this widow troubles me, I will avenge her, lest by her continual coming she weary me. Then the Lord said, Hear what the unjust judge said. And shall God not avenge his own elect who cry out day and night to him, though he bears long with them? Why? Because God isn't an unjust judge. If the unjust judge did that, how much more will not the just judge of heaven do that? Verse 8, I tell you that he will avenge them speedily. Nevertheless, when the Son of Man comes speaking of himself, will he really find faith on the earth? So persevering prayers, Jesus shows us, are also faith-filled prayers. They're prayers that are confident that the will of heaven will be accomplished. What is the fourth thing Jesus' prayers in the garden show us? Right? They show us that prayer must be humble, prayer must be relational, prayer must be persevering. Number four, prayer must be fervent. Prayer must be fervent. Now, I think the fervency of Christ's prayer in the garden is pretty evident. It's truly a prayer from the depth of his heart. And the greater the trial began, became as the weight of the sin of the world pressed on him, we're told that the more the weight of sin, the more the trial grew, the more fervent that his prayers grew. Remember, Luke said this, and being in agony, he prayed more earnestly. So the more agonizing the situation came, the moment he began to uh, have bloody sweat break out all over his body, we're told in that moment, as things got more difficult and more trying, did, did he just cease praying and give up? No, it says that he prayed more earnestly. The NASB says, he prayed more fervently. The word fervently simply means having or displaying a passionate intensity. It means hot, burning, or glowing. Here we see that Jesus was praying with an intensity 
because he truly desired to be fully aligned with the will of the Father. He wanted to fully uh, fulfill the task the Father had given him. And because of the seriousness of it, it was a fervent prayer. It was a hot prayer, right? We shouldn't have cold prayers. We shouldn't have lukewarm prayers. We should have burning, glowy, fiery, earnest, fervent prayer. Prayer from the heart with real intention and desire. So Jesus shows us that prayer should be humble. Prayer should be relational. Prayer should be persevering. Prayer should be fervent. The fifth thing in the garden he shows us is this. Prayer must be yielding. Prayer must be yielding. And I think that is the primary characteristic of Jesus' prayers in the garden. <laughs> that they're a yielding prayer. More than anything else, they're yielding. Meaning that he sought for his human pain and desires to be fully conformed to the will of heaven. Though he did not have a death wish, he wished more above anything else to be conformed to the will of the Father. And he would pray continually with that yielding prayer throughout the entire time in the garden. From, from his first prayers to his last prayers, the thing that was on his lips was not what I will, but what you will. Right? As he had taught his disciples to pray in the Lord's Prayer, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. In Mark he says this, take this cup away from me. Nevertheless, not what I will, but what you will. In Matthew he says, oh my father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And in the second prayer there, he says, Oh, my Father, if this cup cannot pass away from me unless I drink it, your will be done. And Luke, he says, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Nevertheless, not my will, but yours be done. Each prayer, right, has uh, attached to it the desire that the primary desire on his heart is that the will of the Father be done even if it means drinking fully uh, the cup of suffering, uh, the cup of indignation against sin, the cup of death, he's willing to drink it. You know, the most important thing for our prayer life is that we seek to be conformed to the will of God. You know, you know a lot of times we can just have selfish prayers, right? I don't know if you're like me. But sometimes I realize that sometimes I can veer into just selfish prayers, right? I'm just constantly asking for things I want God to do, right? But I think that we need to get in the habit of saying, not what I will, but what you will, right? Yes, God says we can present our requests. Yes, God says we can make known our desires. But ultimately, the thing that should reign most supreme in our heart and in our prayer is that the perfect will of God be done in our life. We should want what God wants for our life, even if it's not what we fully want. And if we're not to the place yet, then our prayer should be, Lord, help me desire what you desire and want what you want. 
Help me get to the place where above anything else, I just want your perfect will to be accomplished in my life. You know, before any requests are given in the Lord's Prayer, where, he, where we ask for provision for daily bread, where we ask for forgiveness, where we ask for deliverance from temptation and evil, Jesus says, before any of those requests, this is how I want you to pray, and this should be the model for your prayers, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So before we get into praying about anything that's on our hearts regarding the, our present needs, before everything else, right, uh, we should want God to have his way in our life. We should want God's purposes to prevail in our life. You know, it's possible to not have the will of God prevail in your life. In Luke 7, verse 30, it says this, that the, the Pharisees rejected the will of God for themselves because they weren't baptized by John the Baptist, right? It is possible uh, to settle for something less than God's perfect will. God permits things that aren't his will to happen in our lives and in our world. But we shouldn't want what God just permits as allowable in our life, right? We should want the perfect will of God to be done in our life. And our prayers should, should, should imitate the prayers of Jesus here in the garden. Prayers that reiterate the request over and over again, not what I will, but what you will. Here's, Lord, what I would like, but ultimately, Lord, I know you know what's best for my life and what's best for this situation. And if things can't be accomplished, if salvation can't be accomplished, if whatever my purpose in life can't be accomplished without uh, you know, a certain thing happening, then I want that to happen in my life, right? That's how we should pray. Okay, so we've seen that first, uh, Jesus' prayer is humble, it's relational, it's persevering, it's fervent, it's yielding, and lastly, number six, it's a prevailing prayer. So here's this, number six, prayer must be prevailing. Now, Jesus had told his disciples when he sees them sleeping, they fall asleep three different times. He tells them the spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. You know what that shows us? Um, it shows us that whenever we have a willing spirit, we need to immediately just begin to pray. And we need to pray. And we need to pray. When we don't know what to pray, we pray in the Spirit, right? And we ask God just to help us to persevere, to prevail in our prayer. You know, we're told that as Jesus prayed these three separate times for the two or three hours he's there in the garden, that he came through that prayer time extraordinarily strong. Right? He came through the prayer time perfectly ready to face the battle that lay in front of him. He was ready to drink the cup of suffering. He was ready to fulfill the perfect plan of heaven. And we should have an attitude toward prayer that we are going to continue to pray until we prevail. Right? In other words, we're going to pray things through. Right? We're going to pray until our hearts are are at rest, trusting Abba, Father, and we can rise from the ground like Jesus, absolutely 
just totally ready and fortified and strengthened to face whatever lies in front of us, right? That's what it means to have a prevailing prayer, right? <laughs> to pray through something until the peace of God is reigning on your heart. And when the peace of God is reigning on your heart, you know what you can do? You can rise up and face whatever you need to face. Amen? So I just want to end with this, and then we're going to go into some time of prayer. Number seven, Jesus said this, Watch and pray, lest you enter into temptation. So you know it's about 7.40 now. I just want us to take the next 20 minutes. You know, Jesus wanted them to watch for an hour. I'm saying, let's watch for 20 minutes. And Jesus, you know, he was uh, about a stone's throw from everyone else. So I want us all spread out. You know, maybe someone comes to the front pew. Maybe you come on the stage. Maybe you go in the gym. Maybe you go in another pew. Maybe you go on the sides. Wherever you want. I want you just to get in that place, and I want you to live out these six characteristics that Jesus showed us in the garden. I want you to have humility, right? Get on your knees. Get on your face if you need to. I want you to be relational. Talk to your Abba Father in heaven. Speak to him. He's listening to you. He's, he's your personal God who loves you. I want you to persevere, right? Don't give up in the prayer. I want you to be fervent. I want you to pray from the heart. Don't have a lukewarm prayer, but, but pray like you mean it. And then most importantly, what I want you to do in this prayer time is I want you to be wielding, yielding. I want you to really just ask the Father that his perfect will would be accomplished in your life. And if, if there's things specifically in your life that you don't know, you know, what that perfect will is, I just want you to bring those things specifically before him and ask him that his perfect will would be done in those areas of in your life. And then I want us all to come through prevailing. Amen? So you can uh, pray as long as you want. You don't have to end at 8 o'clock if you want to go longer. I want you to pray through until you prevail. Amen. So I'm going to just go ahead and we're going to end also uh, the live stream as well. So if you're at home and you're watching, I want you to do the same thing in your home. I want you to just go find a, a, a prayer closet in your home. And I want you just to get on your knees like Jesus before the Father and, 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 and pray as well. Amen. So let's go ahead. Let's go ahead and break up. Get before the Father personally and bring our request.